Peace and blessings, beloved. It's your sister Aisha Abdurrahman, host of Manifest Your Brilliance, a legacy design studio project featuring contemporary women and artists of color from around the globe that are fully showing up and sharing their gifts and talents with the world. It is Monday, May 24th, 2021. Welcome to season five of the Manifest Your Brilliance podcast. I can't believe that this is the fifth season. It has been quite a year and I'm excited to get back on track and share some amazing artists with you guys as usual. On today's episode, we sit with artist Maurice Moore and talk about his experience as a black artist, as a queer artist, the importance of representation, his concern about not appropriating when he shares his stories through his artwork, as well as his bad paper collection that is being featured in the Legacy Design Studio Juneteenth Black Lives Matter Virtual Art Festival coming up this June. So it's finally, I'm happy to finally meet you. Yeah. (laughs) So you're, you're not too far away. You're in Davis. No, no, I'm, I I came to um, North Carolina because of COVID and everything. So I've been with my family in North Carolina. So I should be back in California in the fall. Okay, wow. No hurry, you're not missing nothing here. It's <laughs> just the heat. <laughs> <laughs> just the heat. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, of course, I've done all my research. I see all the education that you, the education background and the work you've been doing and all your exhibitions. So we want to share that with everybody and um help them get to know you better um yeah it's like your mind just goes blank when people ask <laughs> you <laughs> about who you are what you do um yeah. okay I'm Maurice Moore I'm from the south I'm a queer artist um black obviously um and I make art <laughs> I draw um I draw like 2d drawings and 3d drawings and 4d drawings and now ticks related work which goes to like speculative fiction and poetry so I'm kind of exploring that I believe the line exists in visual works like the line exists in music and the line also exists in poetry and different types of texts so I'm trying to try to merge all these things together and apart to kind of see where that works take takes me and I'm also interested in different types of aesthetics other than the white western capitalist European aesthetics that I was taught in school so I'm trying to learn more about different um, black aesthetics um, and being part of a diaspora that encompasses a lot of people Um, but I'm also trying to learn about um, you know native aesthetics um, and Cuban aesthetics and Asian aesthetics Um, but I also want to know about other types of aesthetics. You're learning about all the different aesthetics. I noticed that you have taken some African American um, history courses. Does that help at all? When do you um, look into that for inspiration for the work that you're doing? Um, yes, it definitely helped a lot. Um, like I, I can't remember if I just said it, but I, I mainly went to PWIs. I did go to like a HBCU once, but the majority of people who have taught me about art in the past were not people, POC or black people or queer people or out queer people or neurodiverse people or out neurodiverse and um, disabled people. So like, I question a lot, you know, 
is my work really black and what makes it black? Um, it's not just because I'm black. Yeah, it, it is because I am just black, but like, what are black mark makings? What are black queer drawings? You know, if I snap my hands like, you know, queer people do, or I roll my eyes, those are queer marks. Those are queer black drawings. So um, I didn't learn that in school. And it's not that I think that non-black people can't, you know, be informed about certain things. It's just, there's a lot of things I needed to know about um, our ancestors and where our aesthetics come from. So I decided to go back to school and learn more about, um, I guess, Black people, but in academia. <laughs> like I knew about Black people growing up because I come from a Black family, <laughs> um, but I didn't, I guess, have all the language to kind of understand the wealth of knowledge that my parents and grandparents and so on taught me about being, being Black and our different types of aesthetics. So it wasn't until I got into school that I learned that there's something called call and response. Like we did it in church, you know, when the preacher says, can I get an amen? And the congregation says and do what they do, but I didn't know what that was called. But, you know, so I grew ah. up with black aesthetics. So it's okay. me trying to incorporate as many different things about black aesthetics in my work. And some of them are already in there without me trying, but it's just, I don't necessarily have all the the language and stuff um, mm -hmm. that I have now to kind of articulate what these things mean. So um, that's what going back to school um, has helped. And it's not just through school. It's just like um, being in situations where I get to meet other um, Black creatives and people who are interested in making art and different type of aesthetics. So like being in situations to talk to you about art, I really didn't have that in school because I was mainly the only black person <laughs> in my classes. So like, there are just a lot of things I never experienced. So like, you know, I met a curator in Davis and that was my first time ever having a group ex exhibition show with all black people. <laughs> and it was my first time working oh, wow. with a, yeah, like after 10 years, it was my first time, you know, having a group ex exhibition with all black people. Um, working with a black curator, putting up the show, taking down the show. Um, you know, I never had like a critique with all black artists where we talk about our work. So it's a lot of things I, um, you know, didn't get to do when I was in art school that I'm sort of getting to do now. So like, right. that's what I kind of want to change about my, my work and my practice, like to really work and create with um, other black people. So it's like, it's weird because it's been like about 10 plus years, but now I'm doing a lot of things I feel I should have been doing um, when I was in school. Yeah. Right. That's interesting to hear you say that because that's something that I never thought about is we assume, oh, I'm black, I'm making black art. Or, you know, can other people make black art? Like what is black art? Is black art just incorporating black people into your artwork? Is it black art because I'm black? So that's um, a really great um, point that you make because I never really thought about that. Like specific mark makings and specific, um, you know, symbolism that we can use in our art that shows that it's black art. Yeah. Um, last year when I did the Black Lives Matter art exhibit, that was my, my first um, exhibit that I did. I did not require that the people that were part of the exhibition be black, but they were doing Black Lives Matter artwork. So I was like, mm -hmm. hmm, is that considered black art, even though they themselves are not black? So that's a very, um, important topic and discussion to have as black artists um and then you, so you also mentioned you know being black being queer does that make it more challenging or does it actually open up um more creativity for you being a queer artist or do you feel like oh i have to do this or i don't want to put myself in this or that box 
Um, I, for me, the most important thing is that we as Black people or queer people or, you know, people are diaspora that we have options. And I just think we don't know how many options we we have. I think it's that feeling of like, I have to be perfect and be respectable, be respectable and I can't make mistakes. And it's like, you kind of miss out on some of your options. But I also get, there's a danger in some of the stuff we do. I could just be walking and I can't just do any type of performance I want. I have to think about it. So it's this constant balancing and negotiating um, my work and I think we all to some degree we experience that being queer doesn't make it harder or easier it's just a part of who I am I just think like I, I grew up learning about all the able-bodied cis straight people who contributed to how I could do the things that I could do today but I didn't learn about the Marsha P. Johnsons or the Marlon Riggs and the so on and so forth um, queer people who made it possible so I can see, sit here and say I'm queer and not you know, necessarily be afraid. So it's just like, there's history alongside of all these other people that we need to learn about. So it's like, you know, I try to say everybody's name, <laughs> but it's like, there's so, there's so many people that I never realized who, you know, existed and made art who, you know, felt the same way I feel. And there's so many people who, who were black and they didn't feel how I feel. So it's like, um, I'm learning about everybody. In the beginning, it's overwhelming, but now it's just, you just get used to it. It's like, you just keep finding yourself and finding yourself. So like, that's very um, healing and affirming. Um, I don't know what to say about, <laughs> more about queer people. It's just, you know, like I look at shows like Pose and then I think about Paris is Burning and you think you have people behind the camera who are queer and black and Latinx and telling those stories versus um, Paris is burning. So like I, I, I cherish and value what the people in Paris is burning did. I'm talking about the black and Latinx performance performers, but they open doors. So us, you know, we can make the things that we're making today. So like that is um, some of the things I've been learning, um, you know, when I decided to go back to school, but it's not all from school. <laughs> it's like, right. you know, there's so many other things that I value that the Academy doesn't value and they don't have to, but there's so many things in our culture and our aesthetics that I value now that I just really didn't know um, were so important to me. Like one is just um, being able to write in IV and the things that people say, like that's not a language or that's sloppy and that's lazy. And it's just, it's like, there's so much power in our language that people want to immediately shut me down, <laughs> you know, from even okay. trying to write the way we write. Right. But you know, when somebody else uses our language and they're not us, <laughs> billions of dollars in accolades so what's the problem with me doing it so i think you know learning about the different types of i say i speak a, a southern of e uh but kind of like <laughs> right writing that out and talking talking about that but i know it, it gets complicated it's like sometimes i feel like i'm just beginning as an artist and sometimes i feel like i'm i've been established for a long time like it's it's not bad but like it's like i have to do experimentation while I'm um, making this work that I've been making for a long time. So it gets a little complicated. Right. It's like, you're, it's just a journey. You're forever growing, forever learning. So we're always changing. So you mentioned a little bit about healing, which is kind of the point where I, um, I started Legacy Design Studio was to provide a space and opportunity for not only for artists to express themselves and heal, but for other people to experience their art as a type of healing. So when you mentioned like um, 
seeing representation in films and movies and books and things that inspire you, does that feel like, does that affirm who you are? Is there like a healing experience that you get from that? And do you feel like you try and put that into your work as well? Um, well, for me, I try to say like, I have internalized, I don't know, anti-blackness and I have internalized homophobia and I could be misogynistic and violent and all those things. So it's like important to say that sometimes it is like, oh, you know, when I see someone with my dark complexion or my, my hair, it's like I have to admit that there can be some uncomfortableness with some of the things I work with. But it's just like I didn't grow up, you know, reading things that said that, you know, this skin was beautiful or this body type was beautiful or this hair type was beautiful and not that my parents told me that it wasn't it's just when you're constantly fed something that doesn't center you you know you're you're, you're gonna hate it <laughs> so like um it's like a, a combination of me admitting that you know i had a problem with or being uncomfortable with some forms of blackness and some forms of queerness but like once you keep i guess being open to it and, and being exposed to different types of bodies and different types of way of being, it makes you more open and it is more healing. But that's, that's the way I try to think about it, you know, because, you know, I'm not like femme phobic now, but there is a lot of problems that I had with being seen as feminine or saying that I'm feminine or saying that I'm mass or knowing that I don't have to identify with either one of those things. I can say I'm other and that's right. okay but I think it's important that we have spaces where we can acknowledge that it's okay to question um, our way of being and when you're I'm a big guy <laughs> when you're dark skinned people automatically assume that you're supposed to be this masculine type you know aggressive person. so like that that gets complicated and I, I make work about you know um, walking down the street <laughs> and having people cross the other way or look the other way um, and like noticing that, you know, how people perceive me. So like, you know, when you're queer, you're in this body, it can get complicated. But anyway, um, you know, but I just found that being able to draw these things out and write these things out and perform these things. I also just talk to someone about these things is where I find the healing. And knowing that there were other people um, before me who felt the same way is healing. But also I think it's important to think about our descendants because one day we will be the ancestors and like they're looking back on us now i think it's important that we create things that aren't just trauma porn or violence or yes. things like that like yeah. we think about positive um situations but you know that's that's how i kind of feel about healing it's like it has to be like a positive and a negative involved and there has to be like a lot of honesty but i think like this space that you're creating is like a safe space where i can um, talk about these things and not have to feel like i have to do so much one-on-one -on -one <laughs> or labor <laughs> so that that definitely helps so thank you so much Oh, thank you. I'm so happy because this is new for me. I'm learning. I'm growing. Um, this was just a vision that I had. It was an idea. COVID hit and I had just started learning to curate events. And I remember being in this virtual space. And I was like, I think I can do this in this virtual space. It will be fun. It will be innovative. Um, I've always been into sci-fi and then I was introduced into Afrofuturism. So you talk a lot about um, the future and the potential and our healing Gee, and I know that you um, have some experience or some research in Afrofuturism. Have you ever traveled to the continent of Africa? Um, not physically. <laughs> I would say like reading like Octavia Butler and all the different mm -hmm. films and things dealing with 
um, Africa and, and seeing it in like a positive way. Like I've traveled mm -hmm. to Africa through other people's art. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, Octavia Butler is just one of the people that helped me kind of go there and think about those things and travel into the future. So, um, right. yeah. so that's, that, that's very interesting because, um, yeah, so this was my first year. I actually went to Ghana this year for my first time. And a lot of the things that we experience here, we also experience on the continent of Africa. So being light skinned, they call me white. It was very different. So it's a totally, um, different experience where you feel like, am I not black enough? But here it's like everybody identifies me as black. So it's very different, the contrast of what you experience. And so I've invited, you know, artists from everywhere. Iris, we have artists for this exhibit that are from Nigeria, from Ghana, artists that are from here, from the US. So I um, really want to hope that I can create a dialogue a conversation to bring about that healing and look at, you know, Afrofuturism kind of as our inspiration, our vision board of kind of connecting the two together of, you know, through healing, who can we be as black people, as people of color, you know, for our future in the future. So do you think that um, technology is going to play a role more so in your artwork? I think you've done some um, virtual events. Do you see <laughs> yeah. that it's that it's helping you change or grow as an artist or is it making it harder? Um, I mean, I'm not one of those people who are so paranoid about technology. I get why people can be paranoid and concerned, but it's not the technology doing the evil. It's people making choices to do bad or good. So for me as someone who is neurodiverse and um, for other disabled people, it's important because we get to travel more freely and technology can be more accommodating. So like that is the thing that I think um, technology is a strength for us. Um, and we get to create spaces uh, more freely. So, you know, it's not that I don't think about the negative sides of technology, but I also think about the positive things and just you having a free platform that you can um, connect to. Because it would have helped me to be able to talk to other black queer kids just through Facebook <laughs> or TikTok and people try to put stuff like that down, but you don't know how <laughs> how much that can save a little kid's life just knowing that there are other queer people um, out there, you know, their age and you don't have to go cruising in a park or a bathroom just to, mm -hmm. you know, have experience like that. So like those are one of the things I think is important for, you know, technology and this generation. But um, just, you know, I don't know where these virtual exhibitions are gonna go for my career, but people are like, it counts. So <laughs> it counts. <laughs> but, you know, I think it helps like, you know, I'm not rich. So like, I can't just say, oh, I'm gonna go to London because I get in the show, you know, I, you know, but being able to get a piece in New York, you know, while I'm here dealing with the pandemic and I can just mail it you know, to there or um, having other exhibitions. I don't know, it just seems that it's faster or it's more accommodating that I can show my work more if I don't have the mm -hmm. means to kind of just, you know, go like that. But right. I don't know, I don't think it's like the fix all, but I think it's another opportunity that I think people aren't, maybe aren't all aware of, of how many opportunities these can create, you know, like we need a space like you're creating to show black work because a lot of black students aren't being taught that we have all these opportunities to publish and to show our work and to exhibit. We just think, oh, the MoMA or other top galleries and places, you know, right. San Francisco and New York, those are the only ways that we can get our work out there. They're not. Um, right. Yeah. But I think it adds to like, you know, that, 
that that publication fired the Harlem Renaissance. You know, they had to make their publication. They had to make a space. Uh, so I feel like we're we're continuing on in that tradition of creating our own spaces that we can get our work out there. So like, you know, that's what I think about, you know, technology. Right. I feel like COVID has really kind of forced people that were uncomfortable with technology to embrace it. And now they see like, oh, wow, you know, technology can be a good thing. And it's really helping us to do these amazing things that we never considered before. So I feel like it's kind of given certain people a push. And then other people are, um, who've always used technology are using it more experience. They're like growing with it even more mm. so because of COVID. So I know for me, you know, I've always been into technology, but I kind of was like, well, nobody else is really into this. You know, it's kind of a nerdy thing for a black girl to be into technology and in these 3D virtual worlds, you know. So to invite other people into that space was like, I don't know if this is going to work. So <laughs> I'm very happy to see, you know, that people are interested in it and that they are embracing it and that it's helping other artists get their work shown. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm super duper honored. So tell us a little bit about the um, the collection that you're presenting for the festival. So like, what can people, what are people going to see when they come? Because I'm kind of keeping things a secret. I want to market the event, but I haven't like, I put little teasers out because I'm like, I want to yeah. encourage people to come see the work. Like you can go to a website, you can see the work on Instagram, but to experience it in a 3D virtual space is very different. So they'll be able to walk through and see your work so what do you, what are they going to see when they get to experience your work? <laughs> um, well, I think um, the a lot of the pieces that I submitted are part of what I call my bad paper series. And I make work on notebook. I make work on anything I want to, but let's be real. But I make work on notebook paper. And people are like, why are you using that paper? Why don't you use better paper? And things like that. And I think that that's a very classist way of being because like, if this is all I can afford to make my work you know, it's, it's calling into question some of that capitalism and that, you know, I think ableism too. But also I wonder, why would I go into certain stores to buy paper? None of the paper looks like my skin. Like, why is the standard mm. of the paper white? So, like, that's another one of the, you know, bad paper, you know. And the, and the notebook ruled paper, it has the colored lines. Why are those lines bad? Why do people have a problem with it? So a lot of the pieces that I made work on, it's to think about your materials and how they can be, I don't know, racialized or mm -hmm. sexist or ableist or capitalist. So that is kind of what I'm going back to exploring the um, other things I learned in art school and kind of questioning them. Like, why was I just working on white paper? Why were none of the model models you know, big or, 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 or disabled and things like that. Mm -hmm. Why would, and I remember one model and she was black and she had braids and she was the only model I had in about 10 years of art school. You know, I wonder why that is, you know, and I, I think people like take it for granted. And I'm just like, you know, being able to draw us, it, it makes me more accepting. It makes me see the beauty in us. It's more than just saying black is beautiful, but you learn with every mark you make the, in the intricacies of our beauty. And it's more than just our features and, you know, it's all these things. So like, those are some of the kind of things that um, I'm working with when I made this body of work. Um, it's also when we say the African, African-American diaspora, you know, that's like so broad. When yes. I was growing up, I mainly thought black people were just 
in America and in the South, <laughs> you know, because that's yes. where I was from. I didn't realize there were Black people in Canada, Black people in Mexico, Black people in Cuba. And I knew there were Black people in Africa, but I didn't know how big Africa was and how diverse. Right. But I didn't know there were Black people in Russia and so on. So it's like me looking up on the internet again, all these different type of Black features, all our skin types and some of our culture. And it's like, and I think of it as like how rappers and producers sample um, music from the past. It's like I'm sampling um, us <laughs> and kind of reworking it. So like that's why there's so many different types of um, um, Black figures and, and why I'm trying to draw different types of Black people. But I also want to be clear that uh, there's still like room that I could be accidentally appropriating something. So it's like I want to ask those questions like, you know, I want to, I want it to be like a cultural exchange, you know, because right. I feel like I'm a part of these Black people, but I still want to leave room for that. I don't want to appropriate other people's thing. And I want to ask those, is it okay if I draw them? And I feel like what some of the things I was taught in school, you can do whatever you want to. <laughs> and for me, I don't think that's the case as being Black. We can't do whatever we want to, but there are consequences. So like, that's right. some of the things I, I try to work with um, to work in my work to think about, am I appropriating something? Am I being violent? Am I being abusive? Am I exploiting us? Um, Cause I don't want to say like, I'm just a good guy. I'm just a great person. It's like, I feel like it's my, <laughs> you know, it's my, it's my job to question myself and check myself. And I feel like you have to ask the questions of what your work's doing um, when you put it out there. And I feel like it's important. Like I write stories about all black people and I write stories about you know, I wrote a story about a little black girl, but I want to know from black women what you think about somebody who isn't a black woman writing stories. I don't think that people ask those questions. Right. You know, right. like, why are they people who aren't queer performing queer roles? Mm -hmm. You know, why aren't there people, why are they people writing black queer stories who aren't black or queer? You know, like, I feel like a lot of creatives don't necessarily ask those questions or right. why do you think you can do whatever you want to do and there are no consequences? Who are who are you taking opportunities from? So for me and my work, I'm not judging anybody else, but it's like, I feel like it's my job to ask those questions and constantly keep myself in check, you know, and about, right. you know, who I'm centering in my work. If I write a story about black women, your opinion about it is what matters. <laughs> People who don't identify with that, I right. don't care, you know? So I feel like it's important that you can make work about who you want to center because so many people do that and they just get off by saying, you know, the work is for everybody, you know, and that's not cool because it's like, if it's not closed captioning, if it's not made in Braille, if it's only made in English, if it's not free, you know, everybody doesn't have access to the work. Right. And I just feel like, you know, those are questions that we need to like, you know, constantly be asking, but that's at least what I try to do with my work to try to ask right. those questions. Yeah. That's some of the things that I'm considering because for Second Life, it is a 3D virtual space. You do have to have a computer that runs pretty fast. And that was one of the things that I was questioning is, you know, I want to include everyone, but not everyone can afford a computer that yeah. does that. So what I try to do is I try to also do um, virtual tours of the space and record them. So after the event was over, I recorded or before everyone came, I recorded a clean slate just of me giving a tour and recording it and putting it on YouTube because I feel like you know everybody pretty much has access to YouTube mm -hmm. they not may not be able to um, have a computer that's fast enough to actually see the event 
And then I also, um, this year is the first year I charged for the event. I made tickets that are free and then I did a pay what you can ticket. Mm -hmm. And then I also have people who just want to support the artists and support the artwork and support what we're doing. They can purchase VIP tickets. So I think that um, making things accessible for everybody is important and also asking those questions. And I think for us as people of color, those are things we just naturally tend to yeah. think about. Like, how would I feel if this was done to me? Or how would I feel if someone's appropriating my culture? So I feel like that's just something natural in us versus um, other people feel like, oh, it's art. I can do, you know, whatever yeah. I want. It doesn't matter, you know? Yeah. So I think that that is... Um, Something, I don't know, I think it's just, they say, you know, for people of color, for black people, something in us, we're just very forgiving and we're always thinking of others first. Yeah. So I feel yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's definitely it. So yeah. before we wrap this up, I want to ask you, what does freedom and independence mean to you? So we are going to be celebrating Juneteenth, um, you know, this upcoming month in June, and it's all about freedom and independence for black people what do those words mean to you when you hear them um well freedom and independence what it means to me is um i think of them as fluid and they can evolve and um i don't know it gets complicated it's like part of me wants to say i want to be able to do whatever i want to do but part of me understands that i can't do whatever i want to do, so it gets complicated so maybe like a, a freedom that um like Afrofuturism provides or freedom that hip hop provides or freedom that, you know, I don't know, <laughs> like, like, you know, queer culture provides. It's like, there still can be problematic things about it, but it's just like, you know, I haven't experienced enough freedom to fully articulate what that means to me, but I feel like I'm getting closer when I use these aesthetics um, that are, are, that is wealth that was bequeathed to me from my ancestors. So for me, that's freedom. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'm going to leave this live up for 24 hours. And then after that, you guys will be able to um, listen to it on our podcast. So our podcast is called Manifest Your Brilliance. It's about fully showing up and sharing your gifts and talents with the world. Um, so if you missed the live, no worries. You can listen to that podcast anywhere, speaker, anchor, iTunes, wherever there's podcasts, we're there. So Thank you so much, Maurice, um, for taking your time and sharing your journey and your world with us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And NJ was the artist and creative that I work with at UC Davis. So thank you, NJ, so much. <laughs> uh, thank you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Manifest Your Brilliance. Don't forget to head over to Instagram and follow us at Legacy Design Studio. Hit the notification bell so that you can be notified when we go live and be a part of our live studio audience. Did you know that you can chime in via Anchor FM and leave your comment or question via audio? Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so that you never miss an episode. Life is good. Have a blessed day.